Okay, so the setting of this psalm we're not really told about. Um, so we're left reading behind, between the lines a little bit. You know, so we don't know what in David's life this psalm would necessarily relate to, but we do discover that David is this, uh, contending with some issue with those Hebrews who are worshiping other gods, you know, and he's taking a stand as a person who is not the one doing this. And so if you go back to the historical part of the Old Testament, which give us the life of David, there's one time in David's life when the themes of this psalm come together. And, you know, that's when he is like a young guy and Saul is chasing after him. And he's looking for a safe place for some refuge, you know, where he can flee. And, you know, that's over in uh, Samuel, you know, where all the history of all of that is. But And then there's a second setting where later in Samuel... David is the one chasing Saul, and Saul is seeking refuge, and he's hiding in a cave with a spear next to him, and David comes upon him, and you know, uh, but David refuses to slay him. Um, so, interesting here is what they're both doing is they're looking for refuge of some sort. And so David is looking for a safe place. And that phrase that they have driven me from my share in my inheritance, which suggests that part of the consequence of David having to run for his life here from Saul is that he is disenfranchised, that he's lost his property, he's kind of wiped out, he's broke, he's got to like figure things all out again. And so those he was having trouble with saying, you know, you don't worship Jehovah, our God, when you're in rebellion against the king, so you might as well serve other gods. But And both these themes are uh, addressed in this psalm. So uh, that's where we're going to get into now. And the, the cool thing about this chapter is that you can break it down into two portions, right? The first six verses are about the faithful servant, David, reflecting single-mindedness, that is, he sought the Lord and the Lord alone to meet his needs in five key areas of his life. And then in verses 7 through 11, it's the faithfulness of God coming through and providing these things. And so we're going to start with going through this first part. So uh, he has a real need for security here. He says, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. Right. So there's really no safe place on earth at this point for David. And so he's a young man, he's writing this, he's in a vulnerable position. There's this possibility of a, uh, like this imminent assassination of him, and he's been hiding in caves, using the Judean wilderness to get away. And so hiding away is kind of unique, right, to humans in a lot of ways, right? So it's one of the first things humans learned to do uh, was to hide. You know, as soon as they're created, Adam and Eve are hiding behind a loincloth, you know, Adam goes running away and hide and things like that. But, I mean, beyond that, you know, we hide in caves. Uh, the uh, There's... And while they're hiding in caves, you know, we have a history of that because we can see the cave art, what they're up to, what they're afraid of. You know, these big animals, they're throwing spears, they're doing whatever they're doing. You know, they're looking for a safe refuge and they're sharing their story that way with us. Or, you know, down in South America, uh, not South America, but down in the Southwest, uh, you know, like in Northern Arizona and Southern Colorado, the southwestern tribes, native tribes, built their homes up these cliff sides, you know, and uh, they would climb up rope ladders to get into them, and uh, then they would pull the ropes up, which would give them total security, right? So they're hiding in there. A little fun fact was, I don't know, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I was down in Colorado mountain biking with some friends, and we decided to road trip over from the part of Colorado. We were in Durango to 
to uh, those caves, which is, you know, beautiful national park, but there were these fires everywhere. And so the one time I might ever get there, that park was actually closed that day. So that's another way it was safe. But, uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, we've been hiding out through all our history. We're looking for a safe and a secure place, you know, where we can rest, where we can think through the decisions, where we can think through the problems we're having, uh, some of us are going through hard times, figuring out where a safe place, a secure place is even going to be. Uh, you know, we've moved beyond trees and caves. There's no more saber-toothed tigers on the road but it's a, uh, that we might have to worry about. But it's a dangerous world out there. There's always something trying to defeat us, looking for us, uh, going to find us. And we're looking for ways to hide out from that, right? So uh, we want to just hide out and... We don't want anybody knowing where we are, actually, even a lot of times. And so we go home, and that's our refuge, right? A lot of times what we do is we just hide out there, and we call that cocooning now. It's a term, kind of this modern sociological term, where uh, it's an act of insulating or hiding oneself from the normal social environment, which may be dis- perceived as distracting, unfriendly, dangerous, or otherwise just unwelcome, at least for, like, this present time and uh Technology has totally made cocooning a whole lot easier for us, right? It's like uh, we just bury ourselves in technology. Uh, you know, like, you know, home, stream Netflix, we're on our phone all the time. Whatever it is we're doing, you know, playing video games. Uh, but, like, it has made it possible to be socialized in a way where we can live in total isolation from maintaining contact with others uh, you know, in that manner. And so they can be broken down into three types of cocooning, right? There's the socialized cocoon in which one retreats in the home, the armored cocoon in which establishes a barrier to protect oneself from any kind of external perceived threat, and the wandering cocoon in which travels with a technological barrier that serves to insulate one from the environment around us, which I think that's my favorite one. That's the one I do. And I work on the campus here, and that's all you do is see people on their phone very down. You know, I have my headphones in. It's really like I don't want anybody talking to me. A lot of the time, I like, I don't even have anything going on on it. You know, I just have them popped in. So if somebody hits you, you know, it's like that's it. I'm not, I'm not available. And you know how like when you, you, you like... You go to a corner and there's a bunch of businesses and there's a million people with something they want to pitch to you. You know, it used to be they went door to door, right? And they'd knock on the doors. And sort of in our society, that's verboten now. Like I was a, uh, I had a newspaper route when I was a kid. I don't know. Do all of you know what a newspaper is? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I'd have to go collect the money once a month from the people and, you know, knock on the door. And that was just an accepted part of things. But, you know, God forbid now if somebody comes knocking on your door asking for anything. So, uh, we have, uh, really just isolated. I mean, like, sometimes I pop on next door neighbor, you know, and I look at stuff, and it's a sort of ridiculous thing going on there for the most part. But what I find amazing is people get upset because somebody knocked on their door. And it's like, oh, this person knocked on my door. What could they have possibly wanted? You know, we should be looking out for, I'm like, Really? Is that a big deal? Somebody knocked on your front door? But I don't know. We live in this world where we're really looking for safety, right? And uh, we've created all these methods to do it. Um, but is that really a safe place you're going to be held during hard and difficult times? Because you've isolated yourself off. And so what David has done here, which is great, is he's seeking refuge in the Lord. Right, that's where he's seeking his refuge. He is on the run. I mean, he's got to run. He's got to save his life. 
but he's trusting God is going to take care of him. And uh, so in the difficult and hard times, uh, that's what, you know, where we should be looking is uh, to seek refuge in the Lord. And uh, what's interesting there is we also do this verbally, you know, we protect ourselves. So if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, how are you doing today? And you're like, fine. And, you know, it's like, so what's been going on? It's like, oh, you know, the same old, same old. Like, we've created these barriers where we don't even want to ask questions about ourselves because we're all worried about our personal space being invaded. And uh, by not being able to open up our personal space, we're creating even more barriers to uh, what can come into our lives. So, I don't know. There's really no safe place but in God. And so that's what David's saying. My real security is in you. In you I've hidden, my safety is in you, there's no safe place but in you, and that's the one thing right away he celebrates, that God is meeting our needs uh, of safety, of refuge in him. So, uh, yeah, I I feel like that also leads on that the good news of the gospel uh, is applicable in this little stretch too, because it's not that we can get close to God uh, or find God on our own, because we can't really do that. And, you know, that's something Dennis is, uh, preaches all the time. It's like not about our works getting close to God, but about God finding us, you know, on our path. And so that's what, how it happens. If we hide ourselves away, we're not open to that. But uh, God can uh, get to us anyway. Once. So one of the great things about God is he's a God that moves, you know, it's also one of the bad things about God for a lot of us because, like, we want to put God in one place in our life. It's like maybe it's just here on Sunday. and uh, But we don't always experience God at church. I mean, that's for sure, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like, and then we isolate it off. We compartmentalize it, and this is where we're going to experience God. This is where we place where God's going to be. But God can go anywhere he wants, so you're going to find him in different places in your life. It becomes kind of inconvenient when, you know, God finds you where you don't want to be found. So, and I know we've all been in those kind of situations. You know, you think you've created, erected these barriers, and it's like, you know, not even God's going to get to this, and this is where I'm hiding from everything. But, you know, it's in those moments where God really finds you. And so, um, and it's the great thing about it, too, about God. But... Uh, God in, in in this scripture also in verse two, you are my Lord. Apart and so, I'm not actually going to go through all the verses, so don't worry about how long this might be taken. So, uh, he says in verse two, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. He's saying there's no happiness apart from me, and so that's why he's looking for us, right, to to be in our lives. Uh, he's God is not just one God against among many gods, or not simply the best God among all gods. God is the only God. And all the rest of life is lived within that goodness, and it flows out of his goodness. And nothing is good of its own self, and it all comes from the loving care of God who makes life good. Now, that's another thing David's dealing with here in this passage is people have created idols and made other gods. And we'd like to say, oh, we don't do that in our culture anymore, but we create sorts, all sorts of idols, right, that uh, become like our gods. And it can be a lot of things. It's like seeking money, wealth, fame, whatever. You know, we set everything aside, and that's what we're going for. And then we look at it. It's like, look at my material blessings. Isn't God blessing me? And, you know, that's not what that means at all. That just means... You know, God, for some reason, decided, okay, yeah, you can have all these uh, material wells, but it doesn't mean that you're close to God. It means we possibly created an idol. And, you know, technology in this society, especially in the Bay Area, is the ultimate idol, you know, of a God. Like, tech leaders, they're like, 
uh, old gods on high who say we know everything, you know, and they, they make proclamations that what we are doing are going to change, it's going to change your life for the better, and just trust in us, and this is what we're going to do. And we just blindly follow, you know, and we're like, yeah, that's going to solve all our problems, you know, and like technology has its good things, it has its bad things. Uh, largely, we're seeing there's just a lot of negativity to it, a lot of, uh, uh, things is leading society in ways that uh, makes it difficult. As much privacy as we want, we have less and less of it because of how technology works. I will tell you, though, I did figure out something in technology that was really useful this week, which is I have no data at home in my apartment, which means I don't have a landline, I don't make phone calls unless I text somebody who has an iPhone or something. Like, I can't even text half the time. And then, I don't know, in the latest update on the phone that I downloaded finally... It, like, gave me an option for Wi-Fi calling, you know, like making phone calls. And now I can sit in my living room and make a phone call, which normally I have to throw my clothes on if it's cold at night and, like, get bundled up, go outside and walk, like, 30 feet down the street, 30 yards down the street to make a phone call. So, I don't know. That was one cool thing about technology there. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's not the savior of society. Do you know what I mean? It's like... Uh, Mr. Zuckerberg is not saving society. He's not making a freer society for us. You know, technology, it's, it's promises freedom and democracy for everybody, but that is not what's happening. And it's, we place our value in, in these sort of things and our trust in that, and that's creating an idol in our lives, right? But uh, just because like, we're moving God out of our life and putting that in its place. So... To David, the most important thing was his relationship with the Lord. So he's saying, Lord, you've met the deepest need for me uh, in my well-being. Everything could be going wrong externally, but when I'm with you and right with you, things are well, right? Things are good. It's like, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, you're not going to be well with. You're not going to be good with, you know? And and not to pick on Mark, but, you know, uh, he's sort of the villain of the day right now. So uh, anyhow, he's single-minded in his relationship with God, which allows him to focus in on his well-being, you know? And so we have to look at, like, what's the center of our life and what we're putting at the center of it, right? And uh, um, David has put God at the center of his life. So everything is imbalanced, you know? It's, like, under control, but when God's not at the center of our lives, things can spin out of control. You know, it's like the solar system, right? Like, uh, and BK, you can critique me later if this is, uh, is, if I'm a little bit off here, right? But the sun is the center of our solar system. It has all this gravity. We circle around it, and it keeps us in order, the planets. And, you know, Jupiter has its moon and its own gravity, and, and it keeps the moon circling properly there. And we have our moon, and we have our gravity. But, like... If the sun goes away, the planets are just like going to just be going everywhere. It'll be total chaos. And so like in our lives when we don't have a proper center, we're not focused on what's important uh, in terms of our relationship with God and how we're worshiping and putting the glory of God at the center of our life, things just start to spin out of control. And there's no gravity there. There's no center. And things just go haywire. And they can just end up all over the place, upside down, topsy-turvy. You know, like uh, people say when they get saved, you know, God... Uh, turn their life upside down. Jesus turned, but it's like in reality what happened was 
turned your life right side up because your life was upside down before that. And so that's because there's not a proper center of gravity there. And so David recognizes this. And there's some things in his life um, that help him do that. And he found satisfaction with his choice of friends, right? So he's talking about... uh, making a contrast between the saints who are in the land and who are in God's glorious ones and the people who are in synchronistic and these are the people who are creating idols. They're meshing different kinds of religion together and saying, this is what we're going to follow. And so there's value in every religion, so let's just mix them up. And I lead a good moral ethical life, right? So uh, I, I should be fine. But David has kept his focus on Yahweh and people in his lives who are focused on that. And so I'm going to skip this little part because it's history and I like it, but other people don't. So anyhow, but uh, but this does lead me to a part about the importance of friends in our lives and like kind of the right type of friends, right? Friends are important to us. A community is important. Being around people who can encourage us is really important. Encouragement, companionship, someone to lean on, to pick us up, to share life with, not to be isolated with. You know, that's really important. David recognizes that in the land, the people he's referring to as the saints, are these people. And so I just recently went down to King's Canyon, and, you know, that's where the giant sequoias are, and they're awesome trees. And uh, they're basically the same tree as the redwood, except they're high altitude, and, you know, they, they grow wider. Redwoods can be taller, but... Uh, but they're they're amazing to look at, and the one thing they definitely both have in common, they have like they're these giant trees. You know, they live for two or three thousand years. They have a forty foot base. Um, they're super strong. They're fire resistant, and they have all these strengths. But they cannot stand alone, right? Because they have a super shallow root system. So you you know you've heard of a redwood grove or a sequoia grove. They live in groves because their roots can intertwine with each other and grow around each other. And by doing that, instead of standing alone, you're standing together in this grove, which makes everybody stronger. You know, if you're alone, you're weak. Humans are weak. You know. But when we're in community, our roots are shared, uh, we're sharing life, we're picking each other up, we're living life together, uh, then we become stronger. And what we can do then is recognize that life is a gift and that all of us have gifts, right? Amajo, amago Dei, like we're created in the image of God and there's a bunch of different things under that, but one of those is being in the image of God, we have certain characteristics, and we all have gifts God gives us, and we can share those with each other. And, you know, a lot of times, like, your, your good friends have one gift and you have another. You might have multiple gifts, uh, and they complement each other, you know. So one friend can be the encourager to you and just be there for you to lean on and to help you through those other hard times. And, you know, maybe... Somebody else is the one who picks you up and kicks you in the butt and gets you going and, uh, or, you know, like supports you in a whole nother way. But we have gifts that complement each other. And the gift of life is a gift. And then the gifts we have are a gift, all from God, that allow us to live together in this kind of community when we're seeking out, um, you know, friends to live life with. And so I just encourage you, uh, not to be alone and to, uh, you know, be with like-minded people. Uh, not that you can't have friends that aren't, but, you know, you're really going to get 
a lot more encouragement, a lot more growth and discovering more about God by being around people who love God. And so, uh, yeah, and as we move on here, I mean, that's it's been important to me in my life, having a community that uh, they all have a different, like, one friend provides a job for you. Another friend brings you food when you're down. I've had a few tough years, and things have gotten a lot better. But I had a rebuild. We had a men's breakfast a couple of weeks ago, and it was great. And uh, I get to hear from different guys talking about where they are in life and, you know, some of the problems they're having and some of the, like, victories they're having and, like, where God's doing great things. And it's clearly where God's letting us know where we need to do some things in our life still and, and like, you know, work on... Uh, uh, resolving, uh, you know, broken relationships in our lives. And, and so, and that was kind of a theme for a lot of us is like, we got some relationships that we got to figure out. Uh, so, but it was cool because we were open about it and we shared about it and we go through these trials, right? And so, uh, but God is really so good and creative and so powerful that he can take anything that's wearing us out right now and the defeats in our lives and he takes those moments that the world sends us to just kind of just break us down and damage us. And he uses these times to make you more and more like God, really, as you work through them. And having people around you can help that process. And that later in life, we can actually look back and say, hey, we're grateful for the tough times we had to go through. You know? And so what David is doing here, which is awesome, he's reflecting back when he's writing a psalm. It's like, I had to go through some tough times, but I'm really grateful for what I went through because it's made me the person I am now and it's made me closer to you, God. And you've created me in your image and I'm closer to your image because I've had to go through these things. And you know, sometimes where we seek a safe place or refuge is not the right place. And there are consequences to be paid for that, right? And so it can kind of destroy us or break us down. I mean, we, you know, whether it's in, like, bad relationships or if it's with drugs or alcohol or, it's, you know, you just, like, spend all your money, you get into gambling, whatever it is, there's going to be consequences to be paid for those decisions. It doesn't mean you don't repent. It doesn't mean you don't go to God and say, hey, I need to change this. But it can take a while to get through all of that, you know? And that can there, there can be a long stretch of a down season, a, a dark time in your life. But God is there with us. He's not going to abandon us. And that's like the overarching theme of all the Psalms is God's not abandoning us. He's with us through all the times. And so we see that in the prayers of lament, the Psalms of lament, which is really awesome. I mean, there's some tough things going on there for David too, you know. And almost all of it is always David's making. I mean, David, like, doesn't always have hubris, but uh, when he falls, man, he falls hard, and he finds God's heart, and, you know, that relationship is restored, and it's not perfect how God might have wanted it, but he's still using him to uh, have this uh, great relationship with him, and that's what he can do with us uh, as long as we just seek him, and so um, that's going to kind of get us through the first half of this book, and, you know, I think that's sort of where really I just want to go, except that there is also the bit about seeking counsel from God. I will praise the Lord, verse 7, who counsels me even at my night. Even at night, my heart instructs me well. So David finds that God is indeed speaking to him at night, right? He might not speak in an audible voice, but you know he's impressing on you certain actions and certain... Uh, uh, responses, life responses. And so, actually, sometimes the, the best advice ever, this is 
is like you got a problem at night, you want to hash it out with somebody, it's late at night, that's not the time to do it, it's time to sleep on it, you know, it's like the damage that happens from that conversation, like who knows if you get over it, it's like you got to beg and plead and steal and do whatever to get through that, like whatever you have to do to get through those situations. But David is really secure and he's sleeping here at night and he's hearing from God and he's waking up refreshed because he trusts God that things are going to be be okay, even though things are dark. But he's being given wisdom and guidance. And I want to leave us just with the story, you know, when Jesus and the disciples are on the lake and the storm is up and it's all chaotic and Jesus is sound asleep and the disciples are like, whoa, what's up, dude? Why are you asleep right now? You know, it's like, this is terrifying. And what we see there, Jesus is so secure with his relationship with God that he knows that God is with them, that he's in a secure and safe spot. God is going to take them through this. And so he can sleep through that. And so David can sleep securely uh, wherever it is, hiding in a cave, knowing that God is with him, that he's going to wake up with wisdom and guidance on where to go next. And so um, I think that's just actually like a really super cool thing about God, you know, that it requires a little patience. Like we have to like step back a little bit. We can't just demand action from God, uh, inspect that that will come. We sit, we wait. We spend time with them. Sometimes it's sleep. Sometimes it's prayer. Sometimes it's just being chill and doing whatever, reading the word or, you know, just waiting on God. But if we can do that, he gives us guidance and he gives us wisdom. He gives us safety, gives us security, and he gives us refuge, you know, a, a place of refuge. And so I love this psalm for that and thank God that he gave David these words and... uh and there's just joy in God's presence and his internal pleasure, pleasure with us, you know. And these joys and pleasures are wholly satisfying because it describes us as being filled with joy, right? That's what's happening here. So David's come full circle in this psalm. A psalm which began with David being a refugee. O Lord, in thee I have taken refuge. And ends up with him being an heir to whatever God's inheritance is for him. And so from refuge to heir, heir. And from hunted to having all things. And it just stems out of the security of his relationship with God. And so uh, as we get ready to pray here, I'm going to call Damon and uh, Samuel Chante up. And we're going to sing a couple more songs. And, uh, and this is the sort of relationship that we can all have with God. So uh, if this is something you've been contemplating, you know, you need a safe place or a refuge. Uh, from being hunted to having all things, and you just want the security of a relationship with God, um, we'll be up here. You can pray with us, and and we can talk to you about it after the service. But uh, let's just pray right now as we get ready to uh, sing our last songs. Father God, uh, we thank you so much for David and the inspiration he is, not just in Psalms, but all through the Bible. And it's just really an uh, example of how you take people, Lord, who uh, lead broken lives and you, you make them whole and you make them uh, something beautiful for us to behold because we know that you were broken and if you can do it with 
one broken person, you can do it with another. So you, we thank you for uh, being a God that moves in our lives, that finds us where we are, even when we're hiding from you, God, and that, uh, that you seek us out even when we reject you and that uh, our safe place is with you and not behind walls that we create, Lord, and that uh, as long as we look for that refuge with you, Lord, that we have a measure of security uh, in this life and and what you have for us after this life, Lord. And it doesn't always materialize in, you know, wealth and fame and the great job, but it does materialize in having a relationship with you that gives us peace and the confidence and trust in you to not abandon us and to be with us always. And so just uh, thank you so much, Lord, for all you've given us and how you've created us, Lord, and sometimes you've created a, a people who want to run and hide, but Lord, that you give us courage to step out of the cave and to seek you and to uh, seek refuge in you. And so we just lift this time up to you. We ask this in your name. Amen.